Well, hello, and welcome to our next episode of our podcast. My name is Sean Walker, and I serve as associate pastor with Highlands Baptist Church, and I'm here with two guests, one being... Steve Hafler, I serve as the lead pastor. And also... Steve Kubik, and I'm an elder at Highlands. So the topic of our conversation today is to discuss the relationship between faith and fear. And even in preparing for this podcast, we had a little bit of a dialogue back and forth between even which... Uh, word we should use there? Should it be a faith and fear or faith or fear? So maybe we can start by just describing some of the challenges that our COVID-19 pandemic is bringing in regards to causing fear in us. Kubik? Yeah, so there is so much, uh, I'll call it fear-mongering that goes on, whether it's on television or whether it's on the radio. I mean, even when you're talking to friends, if you are talking to other fearful friends, then that's all that we are going to be thinking about. That's all that we're going to be dwelling on. And so then we will become fearful. I haven't turned the TV on to watch the news and I don't know how long. Just because I know what's going to be on it and I don't want to just fill my head with everything that, that they're saying. Yeah, I think, I mean, that brings out a principle out of Colossians 3 where even Paul is telling the church to set your affections on things above uh, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. And there is a sense of replacement there. We choose to dwell on either things below or things above. It doesn't remove natural concern for family. It doesn't remove the fact that fear might bust through our front door and try to paralyze us. But there is a choice that we make on what we dwell on, what we meditate on. Meditation is a lost, really a lost spiritual discipline in in Christianity. So I think what you're saying and tapping into is very true. Dwelling on, meditating on, setting our minds on, that's very important. And this is really the first outbreak that I've even been ever concerned about. And traveling every other week and being on airplanes every other week, you know, where you're in a confined environment, you know, there's a lot of people that are afraid. I mean, you see people with masks on on just about every single Mm -hmm. flight. And quite honestly, I didn't even care about it until this one when perfectly healthy people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and even 50s are just dropping over dead. Would you say, Steve, there's a difference between concern and fear? We do things more naturally to mitigate our concerns. You know, concerns aren't overwhelming. Fear can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And fear can really paralyze us into taking any kind of action. And at this time, even thinking on something else is an action. I mean, all three of us here are fathers, and if we're playing in the front yard rather than the backyard and there's no fence, there's a, there's a healthy concern that our child, our daughter, our son doesn't run out in the middle of the road. That's not the same as fear, right? Fear is that paralyzing, crippling where you never go to the front yard. <laughs> now you're being controlled by something other. So I think there is a distinction. I think, you know, what you've said is helpful. And some fear can be healthy, you know, certain levels of fear. But overall, fear can be paralyzing. We're being reminded of what are we setting our minds on. So what are some strategies that we as God's people can have to fight against fear, not be paralyzed by fear, be a people of joy in the middle of a world of fear? What are some of the strategies that we might have as as God's people? That's a great question. I mean, I'm sitting here with Steve. I always call Steve sort of our crisis man. He rises to the occasion when people are hurt. So I'd like, yeah, I'd like to press into Steve a little bit since he's our sort of our new guest today. If you were sitting here with our elderly or our teens that are facing disappointment or maybe a teen that's fearing, 
How would you counsel them, like eyeball to eyeball? What would you say to them? We don't like to necessarily say, because we can just kind of uh, minimize the truth that God is in control. And it's, it's almost a platitude, you know, that, that they'll use. Well, God's in control. And he is in control. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks ago, when I wrote that, you know, there are blessings in this. Now, that's not saying that there aren't disappointments in this either. There are students that will not get to walk for a graduation. Mm-hmm. Very disappointing. You know, there are students like my daughter who will have to go another semester now mm-hmm. because she wasn't able to finish all of her clinicals. There are elderly that are truly lonely because they are trapped, locked in their rooms. Not, not so much locked physically, but they are, you know, confined to their rooms. And so they can be very lonely. I've even heard of some of our elderly, as we've talked to them on the phone, they're actually texting and making plans to go out and pick up their breakfast at the same time just to share life, right? So all of these things are completely unplanned mm-hmm. by us, but they're not unknown to God. So much of the fear that we experience today, and fear by us, and I'd say even fear by our government officials, are because we lack knowledge. There's only one person that has perfect knowledge, and that's God. We can't see everything that God is doing. And God has and is changing society as a whole through this. It all folds into God's ultimate plan. I agree that people use that as a platitude. I think of Jesus' words to his disciples, and I think he was talking about persecution, not just a a pandemic, But when he says, don't fear those who can kill the body only, but fear him, God, who can kill the body and soul in hell forever. And I think, you know, what you're saying and emphasizing is a truth that sometimes we fail because it becomes so commonplace, is that God is in control. But just because we're trusting in God and letting trust replace fear doesn't mean we won't get sick, and it certainly doesn't mean we won't die. But it means while we're living, while we're breathing these moments that he's gifted us with, we're looking to him, we're trusting him. We don't have to be paralyzed and crippled through fear. And we won't see these results. We won't see the changes. We won't see what God is doing until after the fact. For instance, the disciples in the boat in the middle of the storm, faith doesn't necessarily follow. Faith is needed in the middle of the storm, and instead they accuse him of not caring Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And later on, he calms the sea. They fear the one in the boat with them. And he says, why are you so afraid, oh, you of little faith? Faith is demanded in the situation when we don't have the answers. And I think that's the nature of faith that offsets fear. Yeah, so in summarizing some of the strategies we've been talking about, it really keeps coming back to what are we believing in most? You know, we might say that God's in control, but this crisis is really testing, do we actually function believe in God's control over all things. You know, Cubic, you were mentioning how we won't know what God's doing until after we can look back. And even when we look back on it, we may see two or three things that God is doing, but he might have been doing 10 million things. I was reminded uh, recently by uh, an author who, who said it this way, it was helpful for my own thinking. We can look at suffering and the Christian scriptures don't give us every reason why there's suffering and evil, but it does prove to us why it isn't. And it's not because God doesn't care. Because we can look to the cross and we see the clearest expression, proof that God does indeed care. And I'm reminded of the passage that says, 
you know, perfect love casts out fear, and Christ is the perfect love of God. And when we look to Christ, we are reassured that no matter what's happening in our world around us, it's not because God does not care. We are sure he does care, and he's shown that to us in Christ. And when we look at that perfect love, I hope that it'll fill our hearts with faith to believe that God is in control and he loves us too. I remember I was up on Holter Dam in Montana, and it's where the Missouri River is dammed up and it creates Holter Lake. And we're standing on top of the dam, and the water is just overflowing the dam, and it's just rushing. And this dam is several hundred feet tall. My father and I are walking across, and there's eight-foot chain-link fences that are going up on both sides. And I was looking, I was trying to see down the, the spillway, and I couldn't see it on the spillway. And so my father said, you know, come here, and I'll pick you up. And he holds out his arms. And I was like, yeah, there's no way you're holding me up. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid mm-hmm. of just being there. And I walked up to him and he held me up and it was the greatest view ever. But I had to make a decision to trust in my father at that time. And he wanted me to experience something that I could not experience from my vantage point. That's a great illustration. I'm reminded of a time when we lived in Lusaka, Zambia. I was out in town and our youngest son had a seizure and my wife thought he died. And so she called me and I was I was overcome by fear and anxiety. But in the midst of just almost a paralyzing panic, I I was able to cry out to the Lord, God help. And it doesn't mean that that God necessarily would have spared his life, but in that situation he did. And I think when, like Habakkuk, I think of Habakkuk when he knows the Chaldeans are going to come down, he says, my, you know, my, my bones are melting, my heart melts, my knees tremble. One of the joys he had in the midst of that fear, like in that situation in Lusaka, We call out to the one we know is sovereign, we know cares. Like you, you made a decision to to get into his arms, and then you saw something you would have never seen otherwise. Well, even back to your example of being in the boat when the apostles were in the boat, and the Sea of Galilee was uh, huge swells on the boat, and they're afraid, and they ask Jesus, don't you care that we perish? Well, we do know that he cares, Mm -hmm. and we should take great comfort in that. He just wants us to turn to him and to trust him and depend on him and just cry out to him. I like what Jesus says where he says, peace I leave with you, not as the world gives to you. Right? Our peace doesn't come all of a sudden because today there are no new cases or no new deaths. As God's children, we have that peace that Jesus left with you, not as the world gives to you, but I give to you a peace that really that passes all understanding. And then he says, so don't be upset, don't be afraid. And so I think that idea where Jesus, through the, you know, the turbulent times of life, uh, he leaves us with a peace that cannot be explained. And I think that the world needs to see. And I think as, as Christians, we need to remember that God gives that to us through his Son. And we're all different. And we're all going to respond to that differently. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm glad you brought that up. Because... My children respond differently, and my children will all handle stress differently. Um, Some of them might just become snappy. Um, Others (laughs) will go and get about getting busy to try to take their minds off of it. God knows each one of us, Mm -hmm. and God knows how we're going to respond. And that's one of the things that God is doing, is God is working on how do we respond to Him during these troubling times, during these these stressful times. That's good. And will we turn to him first, or will we completely exhaust ourselves 
And then we're really fearful because we realize how completely out of control we are. And then we turn to him. That's helpful. Sometimes, I mean, we see somebody that responds in anger. We might just think it's anger, but it's actually fear or control. They try to go into a hyper control mode. It's really fear, you know, and to be able to recognize that. And so we can actually speak truth accurately to the heart it may not just be anger. That might just be a fruit of the actual fear that's controlling the heart. Faith does not mean being reckless. Faith does not mean not taking precautions. Faith does not mean not making preparations, right? Um, sometimes we can fear and over overcompensate. But believing in God is making wise decisions at the same time. And faith is active. Faith isn't something that you just do and walk away from. Faith is constant. The faith requires constant energy. You know, we can't just set our faith on God. Mm. It's not like setting a cup on a table, and it's just going to be there forever. When we set our faith on God, when we set our eyes on God, that is active. That's not a passive action. Mm-hmm. Well, then, to uh, finish up this episode, I think it would be helpful if we were able to leave our listeners with a word from the Lord that helps our own faith, that helps us have a strategy to fight against fear. Sure. I think quickly, the one Old Testament, one New Testament, the psalmist in Psalm 56.3 says, when I am afraid, so he's assuming there will be times of fear, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And then Paul in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Okay, he says, but in every situation, by prayer, that's a response to fear, petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and, and this is a beautiful promise. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Steve Kubik? So I think to uh, Hebrews 13, verse number 5, in the middle of the verse, it says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. And so God is present with us all the time, and he's not going to leave us And he gets the glory in all of it because we acknowledge, in the end, that he is our helper. Good words. Uh, The passage that came to mind, Romans 8, uh, 31, uh, where it's asked, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And just the reassurance to know that God is for us, and he's proven that through Christ. So whatever comes in this life— we can be assured that we have a Father who loves us and is always working for our joy. Well, thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure to listen to you talk about this. I hope this is helpful to our listeners, and we'll praise the Lord that he would use this in our, in our lives.